0: We're still a people that look to contribute and make the world a better place because we easily could have said, look, we're, we're surrounded by enemies. We're going to turn into ourselves. But that's not who we are as a people.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Koren Podcast, and this is an exciting one. We were delighted to be joined here in the office by the amazing Yaakov Katz.
2: Yaakov Katz is the outgoing editor of the Jerusalem Post, um, and it really was an honour to speak to him. Um, We recorded this interview back at the end of January, and as I'm sure all of our listeners are aware, the world has changed somewhat since then, Uh, not just that Yaakov is moving on from his position uh, at the J Post. Um, but we weren't aware of, sort of what would happen here in Israel um, over the last couple of months. Um, but I think what Yaakov chooses to see as the whole Torah um, as he stands on one leg um, is very, very appropriate um, when looking back on the last couple of months. And also uh, could serve as inspiration or even uh, could serve as a point of conversation uh, as we head into Pesach. And so without further ado, here is our conversation with Yaakov Katz as he teaches us the whole Torah, al
1: Welcome back to the Koren Podcast. We are delighted for this episode to be joined by Yaakov Katz. Yaakov Katz is Editor-in-Chief of the Jerusalem Post. He previously served for close to a decade as the paper's military reporter and defense analyst, and has also served as an advisor to Israel's Minister of Economy and Minister of Diaspora Affairs. He's also the author of Shadow Strike, Inside Israel's Secret Mission to Eliminate Syrian Nuclear Power, and the co-author of two books, amongst lots of other things as well. Yaakov, thank you so much for joining us on the Quran Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, to get straight into it, our question for this series, can you teach us the Torah standing on one leg? <laughs> well, the obvious answer
0: is no, but, uh, <laughs> but I can try to uh, give a thought that I have, right, for, for what that's worth, Although that's quite a uh, quite a task within the question, you know, I, I often think about the the challenges that we face as a country or as a Jewish people, and that's something that I definitely uh, deal with on a daily basis. Although when you're when you're the editor of a daily newspaper, you oftentimes look at things through a prism of one day to the next, right? Which is which which causes a number of problems. Uh, one is you suffer from short-term memory loss because you're what you wrote today. Like if someone asked me, what did you, what was the front page last Thursday? I have no call. I have no, (laughs) I have no recollection. Right. Um, because you're immediately creating something new for Friday or for the next, and then for Sunday. So you just don't have the, the capacity to keep everything in stock as opposed to let's say a book as an example, which you can really remember the scope of a big story. Um, that's, that's like, so that's usually just my modus operandi is, is, is in that kind of mon- mindset. But, but I do think that, um, two big ideas that I feel have accompanied me definitely in the last one of them, I would say for the last 30 years, since I came to this country, I, I came to Israel at the ripe age of 14. Uh, then my parents told us we were coming for one year and <laughs> I ended up seeing 30 so far. Uh, I'm still thinking about going back, right? <laughs> um, and one is more I would say from the last seven years as editor of the newspaper. So the first one is I often get asked why, what what is the value in living in Israel, right? And I'm sure you 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 gentlemen get asked that question as well. Um, what's unique about living here? And I think that. Over time, I've I've come to the realization, and this is personal, so everybody can have their own idea, but that there is something about this country that's still in its seventy fifth year. We're part of something bigger. It creates a sense of purpose, and it's a sense of purpose that I think transcends industry and employment and roles in society and socioeconomic levels to an extent, but. Uh, you're still building something, right? You have a deal, but you go to a place like the United States, or you guys are from the UK. Uh, but those are very established countries, established economies, established societies. Here, we're still very much building this country. Uh, and as we speak, right, in the middle of the judicial reforms that are ongoing and the debate about that, um, is just another clear example of how there's so much that's still at at, at in, in controversy about this country and about the way we lead our lives here. That there's this ability to to impact right and to make a difference, whether you're the editor of a newspaper, or you're working at current Publishing, or you are, uh, I think, a lawyer, plumber, doctor. You know, street cleaner. I think every all of us play a role here, still in, in in constructing the the modern Jewish state of Israel. So that's number one. Number two, and this is what I think has crystallized for me as editor of the newspaper. And I don't know if this is the Torah, let's say, but but I think that there's something missing in the whole way we debate tough issues in this country today. Uh, let, let me give one example in when we talk about, for example, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and this is something that, that bothers me for a long time, but you have your people on the right who say, can't give up an inch, right? It's all ours, you'd have Shomron, Judea, Samaria, God gave it to us, biblical heartland, et cetera, et cetera. You have people on the left who say occupation, we stole the land, the Palestinians belong there, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, we have to give it all up. Now, what's lacking in this conversation is that the people on the right could start their conversation by saying, look, we recognize that there are two, three million Palestinians who live there. This is our land, though. But let's let's talk from there. And then you could have your people on the left who say, we recognize that God did give us this land, but there are these Palestinian people. Let's start from there. And and, and imagine if we started conversations in that way, where would it take us? And, and we might end up in a different place. And I think that that's something that can really be applied across the board into so many other Debates that we have as people, that we 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 fail to acknowledge the other side, and that that is something that that I feel I've tried I try to do as in my role, but I, but I think that that's where we can strive to do much better.
2: I think that's great. I mean, whether or not you you've done this on purpose, and I assume you have, um, but these these two things, the one that sort of bothered you. Let's say the last three decades, and the one that's bothered you the last, well, not bothered, but has been playing on your mind. Um, you know, more recently, being you know, be build something, be you know, be a be a builder in the state of Israel or wherever it is, is much more macro. You know that you you play the role whether you're you know the judge or right. the minister or the, the editor or you're the street cleaner. Um, but then also you know finding that nuance, acknowledging the other side. Look, Accepting being accepting of the concept of compromise, being much more um, micro, being you know much more individual. You can you can both be uh, a uh, a builder of a state um, in looking at you know trying to build something bigger than ourselves. Um, you know the, the, the people who made Aliyah in the forties and the fifties, the people who came here you know very very early on, probably had no idea. You know the 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 ditch they dug somewhere in the north on their kibbutz was going to be the forerunner to whatever highway that connects us to to the rest of the world. Um, th- those two those two things definitely definitely playing together. I think that that's quite wonderful. I, I I wonder whether you could give us an example of, of a time where that sort of search for compromise, that search for nuance, has allowed you to, I, as the editor of the, of the Jerusalem Post, you know, you you do hold to well, occupy the space where you've been able to sort of influence something you 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 might be able to point to something and say like I spoke to somebody I, I gave them you know a seed of an idea is that do you do you feel that that you that search for nuance
0: look I feel, I feel that 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 those conversations take place on a regular basis right I mean you know uh, I can give you an example from just over the last few weeks meeting with one of the new newly installed ministers in our new uh, highly controversial government mm-hmm. And a very right wing, very religious government, and these are some people who came into office with a very clear ideology, with without and 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 wanting to implement those new policies. And as we speak, it seems that they're doing quite a good job at it. But uh, I think without an awareness of the impact this will have mm. on Jews of the diaspora, on international relations, and and just in a conversation with one of those more high-profile ministers, just saying, listen, you go ahead and do what you want, but just understand that there there is not a price to pay in a, in a negative sense of, you know, don't do it. It wasn't me threatening, but it was more of just explaining the laying of the land, right, the lay of the land, and, you know, this is this is what will happen, or this is what could happen. That's sometimes what people fail to, to recognize, I think, and oftentimes, just in general, is to think through what we're going to do in life. Right. I think that applies to a lot of what we do, but, uh, but, but I think that one of the things that I've tried to do as editor of the Jerusalem post over the last, uh, seven years now is to become is to make the Jerusalem post a newspaper that is at the center of the Jewish world to an extent, so it is a place where we will debate the issues that are important for the Jews of the world, for Israeli Jews, and definitely the English-speaking community in this country, but also for the diaspora, who are most of our readers, uh, and to and to attack those issues, but to bring uh, voices and opinions from, from, from both sides of the spectrum, and that we should be in the middle and then in the center, and that's a very difficult place I've discovered to mm-hmm. be, because... I, I often joke that I'm very jealous of, uh, and maybe it's not even a joke, maybe it's real. But I'm jealous <laughs> of the people who are so so true to themselves, are so right, and 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 are and, and know that what they're saying, they believe with every bone of their body that they they are saying the truth, whether it's on the right or the left. I don't, right? And and maybe it's because there's something wrong with me, or because. I'm conflicted and I can see the good on the right and I can see the good on the left and I can see that there's sometimes we can be like this and sometimes we can be like that and 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 it's more gray it's less black and white it's more it's it's being more conflicted I think it's it leads for a more interesting look at life yeah. right As if, but but those people they're so you know and we all know those people right maybe we are some of those people but those people are people who who you can't it's like talking sometimes to the wall. And, you know, and it's that example I gave before, like, why can't the person on the left say, yeah, there's this God given connection that we have with Bethel or, or, you know, uh, Shiloh, but I still believe we need to evacuate fine, but I can, I can have a better conversation with that person than the person who says, I don't even care about that. I mean, there's, there's something missing. So I think that we need to find a way to be more in that conflicted
1: center. So I literally wrote this down. I wanted to ask you, how has it, how, how do you think it's happened that that center or that middle ground has almost become certainly in the eyes of, say, on of both extremes kind of to the other, you know, if certainly to the, if people like on the more far right, let's say, we'll say, well, if you're in the middle, that means you're already, you're essentially like an extreme leftist. How right. has that happened that the center has basically become the left?
0: Well, First of all, it's happened because we have politicians who cynically use um, the power that they have and manipulate the political conversation in a way to increase their own strength and power and political base, and 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 they do that by polluting political discourse today. So you know, it, the moment you're not, for example, pro Netanyahu, you've become a leftist, and and I don't want to make this whole conversation about Netanyahu, but if we if we think about him for one moment you know, definitely Israel's longest lead, lead, longest serving leader, but also, I would say, probably one of its most talented, without a doubt. Uh, his greatest political success, in my view, when kind of looking at his career as prime minister, has been making his or his name or support of him synonymous with being right wing, right? So the definition of right wing today in Israel is, do you support Netanyahu or do you not support Netanyahu? Now, I personally, and also the Jerusalem Post, we've taken a critical approach to Netanyahu ever since he was indicted. Right? Uh, I think that there's a problem when you have a prime minister who's on trial, <laughs> on a very basic level. <laughs> but we don't have to get into that. But but what that automatically did is people said, "Oh, you've, you're left wing. You've taken the paper in a left wing direction." And I would say to them, what, "Do you know what I think about the future of settlements in the West Bank? Right? Am I in favor of evacuating? Am I not in favor? Like, isn't that wasn't that once upon a time the litmus test for the conversation?" So so that's been a huge success for him and I think it's it's also what's help, help, helped kept keep him in power all these years. Um, but I think that what's what we're facing around the world today is this very populist wave of nationalistic politics and we see it everywhere, right? You you two guys come from the UK originally. I was saying this the other day to someone. I mean, in the last 4 years there've been four prime ministers in 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 right? And, it's been a bad run, uh, yeah. right? I mean, you know what, Theresa May and then Johnson and then Liz Truss for just a couple of days. Briefly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who? And now, and now the current guy. Uh, so the, the, now it's a little different than here, but that's not exactly good for stability of an economy and of a country. I mean, you look and you look at Trump and you look at what you look at France and Macron who, who won, but you know, not by a lot against Le Pen. And, and you see, this this is something that's happening all all across the world right now. So obviously every country has its unique characteristics of this battle of populism against centrism. But, but I think that it is, uh, it is, it is something that's playing out globally. Also domestically. I still believe that we have to, we have to hold the line, right? I, I, I genuinely believe in that. I think it's maybe I'm too old already, uh, uh, maybe i'm too much of a traditionalist but i i also like i think from a from a media perspective you know i look at the media landscape in israel or you know outside of israel take take the united states as an example fox news so right wing so pro trump at the time as opposed to like ms uh, msnbc so left wing so anti trump now why do they do that so there is ideology but it's also it's really good for business right i mean you know you take israel you hayom very pro bb up until recently are it so off the left-wing reservation, um, part of it is it's good for business, right? We at the Jerusalem Post still believe that there's some value in being a traditionalist newspaper that provides news, provides opinions from across the spectrum, and doesn't take a partisan line,
1: right? How much is that, would you say, inspired mean, You mentioned before the idea of Um, The opportunity that we have, looking at um, the first point you made in terms of like the 30-year idea, the opportunity we have here in Israel to build a Jewish state, to build a society, how much of what you're saying in terms of your your thought and thinking behind how you run the Jerusalem Post is influenced by the idea of what does it mean to run, call it, a Jewish newspaper or a newspaper that's built on Jewish values?
0: Well, I I mean, definitely... It, I think we're unique in the sense and, that, and there are other editors of newspapers in this country who uh, like myself are uh, observe Shabbat and, and, and are, you know, wear kippah or I guess of national religious cloth, if we could call it that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we, we, for example, I, because I think mostly because of me personally and nothing against my predecessors, all very good people, but, uh, I came into my role and religion is very important to me Um, and it's very important to me to write about and to cover topics that have to do with religion and state. And that that's an important topic for me. And we write about it and we talk about it and we debate it and and we editorialize about it all the time because we care deeply about those issues that that has to do with it. And I, and you know, these issues, which are still so um, raw, for the for for the people who live here, because they're they're still real, I feel like that connects, right? We have a real ability to impact, you know. During, for example, the uh, the the these years of, of of fights at the Western Wall at the Kotel, which is one of the holiest sites to the Jewish people and uh, a place of pilgrimage where Jews come to pray regularly from millions, right? And it became a place of hostility and, 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 uh, and fighting between different types of Jews from the women of the wall and reform and conservative who want a place to pray that's respectable for them. When we took up this issue and we, we wrote about it all the time and editorialized about it, I, you know, I know for sure how much it impacted the government, how much it impacted the, the rabbi of the Western Wall, Shmuel Rabinovich, who I have respect for but disagree with. I know how much it it, it it affected them and how much it got them to think twice knowing that there's someone who's watching and reporting on it. So we wield that power, uh, I would say with caution, but with, uh, we feel a responsibility.
2: So you said before that this, um, polarization of the release of conversation, whether it's because it's genuinely what people believe or because it's good for business that, you know, You sell more papers or you get more viewers and more likes and more shares if you're wildly to the left or wildly to the right than you would do if you're, you know, saying, "Okay, settle down, guys. There's, you know, everyone's got merit. Do you think that in light of the the state building idea and still being fairly uh, young player on the world stage, do you think that Israel is... I mean to use to use the the religious parlance, is it? do you think that Israel can be an oragoim can they be a, a light unto the nations in terms of how we engage with the political discourse or even with the interpersonal um disagreements whether it's to do with religion or whether it's to do with politics or or whatever it is do you think being here um sort of we're doing it better or do you think that you know so- somewhere else maybe has has a a uh, a better idea of, of how to have its citizens or its politicians engaging with each other?
0: No, uh, f- well, first of all, I think that, you know, it's difficult to to answer that question sometimes because we get stuck in the mud of the daily grind, mm. right? And the mud of the daily grind makes you sick sometimes. <laughs> But it's also very dirty, right? Uh, and and the political discourse and the fights and and you know yes Bibi no Bibi the trial the judicial reforms the Palestinian conflict and operation the killing of an Al Jazeera journalist and it goes on every day. There's something else, right? So you could say no, we've lost it, right? We're no longer the the Orla Goyim that we want we hail or we believe ourselves to be. I, I would push back on that because I think that firstly. Seventy-five years is a speck of dust in the historical timeline of a nation, right? So we look at the last seventy-five years. Obviously, it's a huge, monumental uh, achievement to get to this point. But when you think about it, it, it it's maybe going to be in that in that book that will be written one day in you know four thousand or whatever it is, whatever year, it'll be a few pages. What's happened in these last seventy-five years? That's it, right? So so while we can get, I, I can get caught up in today's paper when I really zoom out for a moment, how important is that for the historical perspective of, of a, of a nation? Uh, and that's why when I look at the macro level, I think that what we've achieved here is incredible. I, you know, I'll give you one example. That's very real for me right now, because my oldest daughter who's 19 is serving in the IDF and I, I served in the military, uh, a while ago. Um, and I have three nephews who are also now in combat units. And I think about that for a moment. And of course, you know, there's compulsory service in this country. But, you know, who in the world could take for granted in 2023 that an 18, 19, or 20-year-old is going to say, I'm stopping my life now for two, three years to give to my country, to give to something greater? Of course, they come with personal ambition. They want a good job. They want a good role. They want to do something. They want to feel uh, that they, they're they're achieving and they're succeeding and they're contributing But you, I mean, in America, these kids are going to college and they're having parties where they play beer pong. Right. And you know, I don't know what goes on in the UK. You guys are smarter, more sophisticated, Uh, but But, you know, I mean like (laughs) this idea of, of, of contributing to something greater than yourself is still so, so much a part of this, of the story of Israel. And you look at what we've done. I mean, how we've, where we've succeeded and where we've come and how all the wars and all the challenges that we face, we're still, a people that look to contribute and make the world a better place. Cause we easily could have said, look, we're, we're surrounded by enemies. We're going to turn into ourselves, but that's not who we are as a people is, is remarkable. Right. When I think of that. Uh, and I have amazing, I could give you criticism of Israel from today and we could be sitting here for 24 hours. But, but, but I think when you really look at that high, you know, 30,000 feet altitude perspective, it's, it's inspiring to me what 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 these youth and how they can still with all the cynicism that i have that these kids and the hundreds of thousands like them who every year or tens of thousands who decide we're going to do this because they could get out of it if they want to that to me is something that's unique it's special and it shows what type of society we have here
2: so, i mean i guess my next question then is from your perspective what is it about Israel that is generating that desire amongst young people, because also it's not just kids. I mean, you also grew up here, uh, correct? I mean, yeah, yeah. And it's it, there are also you know every year how many hundreds or thousands of volunteers coming from overseas to join Machal to be you know overseas uh, volunteers in the Israeli army. What is it about Israel perhaps that then is generating that um, that urge in our young people? To give of themselves and to contribute in that way, um, that you know, American, I think it's youth the or D- British youth—it's the, the,
0: it's the DNA of, of who we are. I think to a big extent, you know. La for one, but I'm reading this book now, uh, which I picked up at the airport. <laughs> I think it's called The Lonely Century or The Lone—I I can't remember the title. So, it was written by some British uh, academic. Um, I'll get you the right name, but the the she opens up talking about how, you know, everyone's on their iPhones and everyone's living in their own little bubble and how loneliness obviously affects health and people who are lonely are, you know, they tend to have a weaker immune system and, and she goes on and on. And then like chapter number two or three, she opens up with B'nai Bruck. I'm like, where did this woman come to B'nai <laughs> And it's all about how the Haredim, for example, are, you know, vitamin D deficiency cause they never go outside and they're always wearing these black coats and black hats, right? They do no exercise as we know. Uh, they're poor, li- relatively low, so they don't have a lot of money. Uh, so then they're eating a lot of junk, and they're not eating very healthy. And We all know that from here with the whole debate now about sugar drinks, mm-hmm. taxes, etc. But strangely, they their life expectancy is much higher than it should be, and and the 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 Mascanat the conclusion that she comes to is that it's because of the sense of community that they have, right? That they care for one another, they take care of one another. So apply that for a moment to. Think of that, I think, on a, on a national level, right? That's obviously unique to an extent to the Haredi community. But I think also nationally, we, we, we have something in our DNA as a Jewish people that t- is, is about helping the other person, right? Is about contributing to a greater cause and a greater good. So, so I think that, you know, obviously there's a law that uh, is, m- mandates that these kids need to serve in the IDF, but they could get out of it. But then there's national service, and and it's that sense, and and then you look at the Haredim who don't serve, but they still have that sense of community where they help one another, and 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 I can tell you from firsthand experience, if you look at the different nonprofit organizations that are in hospitals or just across society, helping religious, secular, Arab, Muslim, Christian run by Haredim, uh is 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 remarkable. So I think that it's something that's really inside ingrained in our Jewish identity. And it's, it's, it, it ties into that. What I think I mentioned before this larger idea of, of this contribution, this building effort that we're all a, a part of when we, if we were to zoom out of our daily lives, which is, which are sometimes tough, right? You know, we're paying a lot of money for everything in
1: this country today,
0: but, but really I do. I, I genuinely feel that I feel that deeply in my soul.
1: What do you think is the, is both the role, let's say, and also like the unique opportunity that Olim specifically have in that building project?
0: Well, I think it's a, uh, I think everyone has what to contribute. And I think that because of the fact that this is a country that still is going through this construction phase, people who come here with unique expertise, with unique insight, with, uh, with, with a professional capacity, have the ability to really make a difference and to impact. I mean, you look at the tech sector in this country, very much influenced by uh, Anglo-Saxon Olim to the country, right? You know, companies like, for example, I'm just thinking off the top of my head right now, Amdocs. one of its founders was a South African Ole. And you look at a lot of the VCs and hedge funds that are operating in Israel today. Many of them started and, and run today by people who came from from outside of Israel. You look at the the million plus immigrants who came to Israel from the former Soviet Union with the downfall of, uh, of, of, of the Iron Curtain back in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, besides for creating a amazing culture and, and diversity in Israel now with a million Russian speakers, but the scientists, the mathematicians, the physicists, the, the doctors, all these people who came here, you talk to anyone in in the industry in any in the industrial sector if we could call it that i mean they'll tell you that this created a huge boom for the country and pro- propelled it forward in ways that we couldn't have imagined contributed to israel becoming the startup nation today but i think that also you know if i think from a from a religious perspective one one of the things that troubles me often is how especially now when you look at the way this government and members of the the new government talk about uh, reform and conservative Jews, is it, there's something very weird in Israel, right? That, uh, and, you know, it has a lot to do with politics and fear and concern, but that the 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 religious politicians in Israel are refuse to meet and talk often with reform leaders or reform rabbis or conservative rabbis. But if you go to, I know in the United States and also in the UK, you could have a panel of rabbis or you could have uh, even like a Hanukkah party that's done by a number of different communities at the same time. And you could have your Chabad rabbi and your Haredi rabbi and your Orthodox rabbi and your Reform rabbi and your conservative rabbi whose all communities are coming together. So there it can work, but here we, it can't. And I think that uh, Olim, especially from places like the U.S., the U.K., Australia, South Africa, the places where you have even parts of Europe where you have those types of pluralistic communities have the ability to, to to bring that new way of kind of thinking and not being afraid of someone who's a little religiously different, but, but saying, let's, let's engage together.
2: Yeah. I think that's also, it's, it's interesting as well. You talked before about the stability or instability, uh, certainly politically at the moment in Israel and, and around the world. If you look at Israel Especially in the context of you know other countries that gained their independence around the same time, you know the other younger countries, and um, where Israel, I mean again I'm no expert, but I th- probably uniquely has the huge influx of what we would call all but of immigrants essentially, and welcoming immigrants in, and that all those different backgrounds and all those different, you know whether they be engineers or VCs or whatever, then all contributing. At essentially a grassroots level.
0: By, by, by the way, I don't want to interrupt, but like think about for a moment how India and Israel, two countries right. established around the same time. India today is like 1.2 billion people. Right. Israel at the time, were, we're at 10 million almost, but Israel at the time when it, was, when it was first established, we had 600,000 people, like Jews, who were living in this country, right? So you, <laughs> you think of, you know, India did not start with 600,000 people, right? right? India started already with tens of millions of people.
2: Uh, which just you know
0: further underscores your point.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that's that. I mean, India is who I had had in my mind. I, I think that you know all these people coming in at, at at a grassroots level, and you know you said just now that you have in in the diaspora where you can have a Hanukkah party with four or five different community leaders from all different backgrounds and ideologies, whatever. Where it doesn't seem to work here. Um, you know, do you think that perhaps there's a Uh, There's something to be said for not, obviously not ignoring and and, overthrowing governments, but that at least on a social level uh, or sociological level that the Israel benefits from its diversity, but in whether it's ethnic or religious or socioeconomic, that that diversity is sort of part of the secret um, to sort of what has made Israel so successful in so many different ways, despite, the current instability or the current divisions at a governmental level.
0: Yeah, I would look without a doubt. I mean, you know, you look at society and the diversity that we do have here, and there was a great uh, a great video that came out last week, which someone sent to me, which, uh, which I saw, where a group of soldiers from the Golani Brigade are standing around and they're on one of these Masa'ot, right, where they like do these treks of, you know, 40 kilometers through the night in the mud, and they're standing there with their commander and they're holding they're their, their holding stretchers over their soldiers. You know, you need four soldiers for a stretcher. And the their commander, a young guy, probably maybe 21, 22, is saying to them, you know, we're, we're carrying the, the nation of Israel on our shoulders, right? One of us lets go. the whole stretcher falls, right? So we can't and and look around you, he says. Look at your look at the people who are next to you. You have someone from Tel Aviv, and you have someone from a, a settlement in Yudava Shomron in Judean Samaria, and you have someone who's Mizrahi and someone who's Ashkenazi and you have someone who's Ethiopian and someone who's Russian and you could have your Druze soldier and your Jewish soldier. I mean that mosaic that we have here, that it's like a kaleidoscope of Israel is is so unique, right? And and it's it, it just shows now it creates problems. Don't get me wrong because it creates tension within society. I don't think we've, for example, have yet to overcome the Sephardic Ashkenazi divide that still very much exists. Yes, there's a lot more intermarriage, but I mean, you know, there are still people who feel that they're discriminated because they're Mizrachim. And you go to certain communities like Kiryat Malachi, where there's a ton of Ethiopian uh, Israelis, and they do not have the same opportunity that we all have here, right? Uh, Israel has to the gap between those who have and those who don't is, is wider than ever before. And and we as a country have to do something about that. But, but I think that there's no doubt that, that diversity contributes to the ingenuity and to the creative uh, traits or DNA that we have as a people.
1: Um, I want to dig in a little deeper into your second point. You said about debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we explored quite a lot in terms of this idea of building and the opportunity we have to build in terms of the question of debate. I mean, there's a long standing, we often we're proud of a long standing Jewish tradition of debate, um, and that we have a value let's say, that we see there are always both to two sides to the debate. Where, where do you think, where, where's has it gone wrong?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's working great. Um, I mean, it's, I, I, look, I don't know where it's going. I don't know. I can't put my finger on the point that I could say, you know, here's where we went wrong. But something's not working today, obviously. Uh, you know, there are people who I'm sure we all talk to, who you talk to, I talk to, and, and you feel like you, you can't speak to them because there's something completely missing. Like you're trying to talk rational and they, 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 they don't, the facts mean nothing. People, we've been conditioned the world that the era of fake news and and the spread of disinformation. Um, I'm holding up my iPhone because these things have have contributed to 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 this reality. But the fact that you know someone can spread a lie and it gets disseminated in such a such a wide capacity and scope, and it's believed and it's picked up and it's spread and it becomes truth when when. It, you know it's not true. You know it's not true. But it makes no difference to those people you're talking to. It makes it almost impossible to speak to them. And I, I say this with despair, but there are people who I've given up trying to have those conversations with because I re- rec- it, it creates ma- major frustration by me. But I don't think that it's possible to get through to them. It, on the other hand, we, we I continue to hammer away in my writing uh, uh, the idea of, Trying to come to the middle, come to compromise, bridge the differences, but uh, but it's very difficult to have the, those some, with some people those types of conversations. I think we've we've become we've become very kind of uh, I don't know if isolated is the right word, but insulated maybe with the with who we want to listen to. I'll give you one one example. I got a uh, we have a one of our regular columnists is a guy Gershon Baskin, who's uh, left wing, very left wing. Um, and I am happy that we have him because I think he brings an interesting perspective and he balances out some of our more right-wing columnists. And Gershon wrote a piece, maybe it was about eight, nine months ago, where he wrote that, uh, in the upcoming municipal elections that will take place in Jerusalem in November 23, I guess this, based on almost a year from now, uh, a little less, the, um, Arabs of Jerusalem, so that's about 250,000, 300,000, they're not citizens, but they're residents of Jerusalem, so they have the right to vote in the municipal elections, but they boycott the vote, should run a list and present a candidate, and that could really influence their sway over city resources, et cetera. I get a phone call, I don't know how the person got my office number, uh, from a woman with a European accent who says, how dare you publish that op-ed, this is a portrayal of Israel, you need to apologize or I'll cancel my subscription to the Jerusalem post. And I said to her, I, I, I need to understand something, right? What are you so afraid of? W- 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 it's an idea. I don't agree with it necessarily myself, but I don't feel uh, that I'm at risk, at danger of an idea. I feel that there is, it opens up my head. It, it makes me think, it challenges my previous ideas and thoughts. I think she went ahead and, canceled. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, um, but but I, but what, what it showed me is, is is something that I see all the time are people who are unwilling to even read something that is different than what they believe. We don't want to be challenged. We want to be reinforced. So two very different things. And I believe let's be challenged because what will happen? What's the, let's, let's think about it for a moment. You get challenged in your idea. There's going to be Basically two or three outcomes. One is you will think differently. Oh my god, right? It's, it's it's destabilizing, right? Scary. Number two is you will be reinforced in what you believe. You'll say, "Listen, that was a nice attempt, but I reject that." Right? We see it in the Gemara all the time, right? Mm-hmm. They 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 you know, they present an idea, the Gemara shoots it down, says it's not going to work, right? But it's the constant one of the things that the, the Talmud does, right, is it constantly tries to challenge whatever the concept is. Or it so keeps on doing it. Then it automa- at the end of a whole long debate, it'll come to say, no, that doesn't that that's none of that works, right? So the second option is that we're just going to be we're gonna be challenged, we're gonna say it doesn't work, and we're gonna go back and our position will be strengthened. Is that so scary? And then the third is just that we'll maybe be par of to some idea. But again, it's it's this fear that people have. They don't want that challenge. And I think that's sad. That's sad because debate. Is so uh, critical to who we are, right? I mean, you know, the the, the Jewish idea of debate, of chavrutah, of studying with another person as opposed to just on your own, is so integral to, to to the way we are as a people.
2: Something something has gone wrong. I mean, this is a question to perhaps perhaps there's no answer, but how how do we how do we open people's minds? I mean, what does one say to the woman who called you up who you know, somehow got your office number? You know, cause if she counts her subscription, is there a way to encourage people to sort of be more open to these ideas? Or do we we, do we sort of, as you say, you know, in a thousand years, these last four or five years will just be, you know, a footnote or right. a couple of pages. Do we just shrug our shoulders and, and hope we, we get through the other side? Or do you think no. there's, there's is there a forum, is there a way in which we can be saying to people like, well, first of all, shut up and listen? I think we... Talk about it. We 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 write about it. We
0: we we don't give up. It's easy to give up, uh, and I've seen people do that, and I've seen people give up and 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 surrender to the uh, inability to affect those people. And I, okay, so with that woman, I spoke to her for about ten minutes. I tried to convince mm-hmm. her. Uh, obviously, I don't want anyone to cancel their subscription. That's important to the Jerusalem Post, but I also felt that there was a more a, a deeper importance to my conversation with her which was to show her don't be afraid of this idea that challenges what you believe be open to it you don't have to accept it it doesn't have to change what you think but don't be afraid of it i, I think i won't give up on that i think that mm. a lot you know I, I know a lot of people don't they continue to pound and hammer away at these issues um and and you know it's 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 all over it could be about the Arabs—it could be about politics, it could be about religion, it could be about anything, right? But, but I think that we all have, if we want to keep a society where there is uh, an open and free exchange of ideas, it's so integral and important that we have this ability to have these conversations, right? We shouldn't be afraid of them.
1: I think we talked about, um, I guess, the way that the contributions of Olim or of our—I don't know of our youth maybe are a way of bridging that gap between diaspora communities and um, the Jewish community or Jewish world here in Israel. In terms of debate, I think sometimes um, there's a gap maybe that's caused because, you know, debating issues that go on in Israel in the diaspora, in a way, maybe this is a very Israel-centric way of looking at it. It's very easy to debate it because it's very theoretical. You could say, well, I think this, but then... From an Israeli or someone living in Israel, so i say it's fine for you to say that because in practice this doesn't actually impact you. Right. How do we bridge that gap between how do we I guess as it, Israelis living here communicate to the diaspora? It, I, I get you think that, but maybe this is what it looks like here. Yeah. Well, and and how do and how as Israelis can we be more open to maybe with certain ideas things coming ideas coming from people or let's say appreciating the views and the opinions of those in the diaspora of what happens here in Israel as well.
0: You know, the, you touch upon an interesting question, I think, or idea, because one of the things that, and, and someone who very much lives and believes strongly in the importance of a, of a vibrant and, and strong relationship between Israel and the, and the diaspora, um, and the responsibility of both communities to one another I I have long grappled with this divide that is so real and 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 we all see right and only growing unfortunately and the question is um how can we bridge that right you know we, that's like the penultimate question how do we bridge the israel diaspora divide is my pronouncement
1: and every,
0: <laughs> everyone want, everyone. You know, everyone's got the answer, and you know, throw money at this or you know, birthright or the government with Mosaic United and every Jewish startup and nonprofit. Everybody's got the answer. Just give me money, and I'll figure it out, right? <laughs> so, I, I actually think that before we even get into where we put the money, there's a bigger step that needs to be taken, and this touches upon what you're saying, which is. We have to first recognize that we're completely different, right? So, you know, you talked about the the Israeli perspective versus the Jewish diaspora perspective. So, you know, I mean, you, you, we all live—all three of us live here, right? We have children here, I'm guessing, right? And um, we we are raising families here, and there are risks that come with living in this country, right? I mean, I remember a time, I think you probably, you guys are younger than I am, but uh, you weren't here in the early 2000s, or, or were you? Not yet. Not yet, so.
2: <laughs> I mean, we were in yeshiva.
0: In yeshiva, okay. So the early, you know, when, when in, in the late 90s, when buses were blowing up and, and getting on those buses and seeing someone suspicious with a big coat or a big backpack, and I can tell you number of times that I would, almost have a panic attack and get off the bus. Right. Because just fearing that I I don't know Mm. what this person is and I don't expect anyone in Chicago, LA, London, or Paris to understand that. Right. They, they, they've never experienced that. So they, why would they know what that feeling is like? On the other hand, I went to yeshiva in Israel. I went to Bar-Ilan university. I've lived in Israel for most of my life. Right. Um, I don't know what it's like to be on a college campus and fear walking around with a Magen David or or going to a pro-Israel rally. I, I've never experienced that. I've never walked. I've never walked into a shul. I mean, I've walked into shuls as a guest and seen uh, a swastika, but I've never. I've never. It's not. It's been my community for me to experience that. So. I think where we live in our geographical locations, definitely, and where we come from in our life experiences impact the way we're going to look at one another. Now, the problem is, is that we all want to, we all assume falsely that we're all the same. We're not, right? So we expect that because we're all the same, we should all look at things the same. And then we don't understand why we're not. But the reason is because we're not the same. We come with different life experiences. We come with different uh, identities. And that's how we need to approach this conversation. I think that the, that's got to be the starting point, the recognition that we're very different from one another. And that is how we can then, if we can start that way, and maybe this ties back to what we said before, right? That's how you have these conversations, is is coming a little, right, one coming towards the other and recognizing that there is this distinct, inherent difference. And once we recognize that, then I think we can maybe understand why there is that difference a little more.
1: So I guess one final question, or just to ask you to wrap it all up, to bring it all together, going back to your two points on one leg, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned before. I'm a
0: good you? I can't give one <laughs> answer.
1: Um, and I, I, something you mentioned before, which is something I always think about, is that a lot of the time, you know, we see views expressed, um, and we, all, and I can't but help in my head think that question, like, okay, but then, then what? I get that you think that, or I get you're saying that, but then what? how does this pan out? So, so in terms of your two points originally, I guess the then what, or, the, or as you say with ideas, what might happen if you let this play out? What would you say to our listeners in a sentence or two, or on those two points that you mentioned, what can they do? What, what can be the next step for them to be a part of this, be a part of this building project or to change the way that we debate what for, for any, anyone listening at home who, you know, doesn't necessarily have the platforms that we have mm-hmm. or that you have, um, what, what can be the next step for them? Well,
0: I, I think the bottom line of what, what a lot we, we have spoken about today is the engagement, the, the, the idea of being involved, but also education and knowing more and debating those issues and thinking about them and, and pondering the tough, big issues that we're all dealing with, no matter where we come from, no matter who we are, what, what type of Jew or what type of person, uh, even if we're not Jewish, the, the, the thinking of our relationship with our between ourselves and how we talk to one another, but also thinking about the larger scope of our existence and what are we contributing to the larger good, I feel privileged, right? That I go back to what I opened with, but I feel that to me it's it's something that I don't you know, some people wake up in the morning and they have to look for significance in their life and purpose and in what they're going to do, right? It's not enough their job, it's not enough their family, they want I feel like I have that built into to my daily life. So it 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 really it it's gratifying for me personally. I think that we all need that to an extent. We need to feel that greater mission, that greater sense of purpose. And it fits, maybe that's why I do what I do, but it fits in very nicely with the debate and, and, and the conversations, because I think it's just a constant conversation, a constant debate that we need to have. And the recognition, not rejecting the other, but accepting that there will be those differences, but having that conversation with that open mind and not being
2: afraid of what you're going to hear from someone who might be a little different. You mentioned before how, you know, Shabbat is a very important part of of your life, that after the rabbi, you're probably the cause of, or at least the inspiration behind most conversations around Shabbat tables um, here in Israel, especially, but perhaps in, in, uh, in the diaspora too. And so, and you, it's been very inspirational sitting here and sort of seeing how you take that role as the, Shabbat table conversation influencer uh, very seriously um, so I just want to thank you for spending some time with us I, I hope that I, know I certainly will, I'm sure RIA as well and our listeners will take to heart uh, what you're saying and trying to find that common ground and at least being open to hearing ideas um, even if uh, they don't see themselves coming to agree with them and perhaps uh, maybe one day they, they might be surprised um, and so thank you uh, for spending time with us on the Crown Podcast uh, we hope to have you again soon thank you
1: very much well, that's it for this episode of the Corinne podcast. Thank you again to Yaakov Katz for joining us for what was really a fascinating and interesting discussion and interview that we, I think, we learn a lot about seeing the Torah in hear what we're doing in the land of Israel today, the challenge for the Jewish people and the opportunity for all of us to be part of rebuilding um, a a home for the Jewish people here in the land of Israel. So thank you to Yaakov again. You can find out more about Yaakov's work and his books in the show notes for the episode. Uh, But if you're looking to stock up on relevant books, perhaps on the history of Israel or Zionism or religious Zionism, you can find a huge range of different appropriate titles on our website and get 10% off your order using Code podcast
2: at checkout. If you'd like to get hold of us, how can they do that, Alex? You can email podcast at KarenPub.com or you can get in touch via social media at Karen Publishers uh, on all the various podcast platforms, including TikTok. Um, we are going to be taking a break now for a couple of weeks over Pesach. Uh, as all our listeners uh, eagerly await our episodes every other Wednesday. Uh, next Wednesday and the following one are both chag uh, And so we will be back with a really, really exciting episode. Um, After Pesach, please God, for Yom HaShoah. Uh, Until then, wishing everyone a Chag Sameach, and we will see you next time.